Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. Chapter 12. Uh, from verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the message of God, says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then it continues in verse 2 to say, and be not conformed to the world. Actually, what you have in verse 1, the way it's going to happen is actually what it is in verse 2. It says, the way you'll be able to, you know, present your body a living sacrifice, fully and acceptable unto God, um, is, which is a reasonable service, is by not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to do so much explanation on that, but I'm just going to say this. You see, when it comes to the learning of God's word, the learning of God's word is not for information. Now, can the teaching of God's word produce information? Yes. All right. But the learning of God's word is primarily for mind renewal. It's to the end that the believer's mind is renewed. And then what happens? Because your mind is renewed, you begin to act a certain way. So the actual transformation for the believer happens to the point when he receives information about who he has become. Do you understand me? That's what happens. That's when you have the actual new of mind. I said, let me pray for yourself, you know, once again, all right? That as we learn God's word today, your heart is open to receive. In the name of Jesus, your heart is open to receive. Not just do you receive information in your head, you receive uh, knowledge in your heart. In the name of Jesus, and God's word renews your mind. Pray for yourself. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, I sense in my heart, a body in the heart of someone, you know, here this evening, but I sense in my heart that it is body in the heart of someone. And you see, the word of God is really simple. You see, God's word can ease the body in your heart. Now, it will not even matter if, you know, what we are here to study is the book of Ephesians. You see, God's word can ease the body in your heart. All right? It can ease the body in your heart. You see, when we speak of healing, healing will not always be physical. At times, there are healings of emotional wounds. At times, there are leaps in your body by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I've told you guys this again and again, that whenever we gather to learn God's word, there is the flow of the Spirit. Hallelujah. We are here to speak concerning the details of the resurrection, the things that have been made available to us as believers upon the resurrection. And so it is normal to expect the power of the resurrection to flow. All right? So I just want you to pay attention to the word. I can tell you this for sure. As God's word is taught to you today, that body that came with, that you know, that you had, or that you currently have in your heart is going to be eaten. You just, you know, you end the meeting and then you forget that you came with your body in your heart. You know, you, you forget you came with your body. You see, I sense that the body in that person's heart has to do with delay. Has to do with delay. And it's a lady, actually. It's a lady. You know, you, you're just, you know, you just have, it's like the, the overwhelming feeling. It's like it just dawned on you, you know, this evening, all right? Just shortly before the meeting. Just don't do that, you know, what am I doing with my life? You know, time is going, you know, so on and so forth. Like, it just don't on you. You know, that body is going to be lifted. It's going to be lifted by God's word. So I want you to just pay attention to the word. The instruction is simple, all right? I'm not, you know, I'm not let to pray for you. I'm not let to give you any you know, direct instructions. The instruction is just take your heart away from that and focus on the word, all right? And that body will be lifted. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so our God and our Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the ministry of the Spirit. We thank you for light and insight and revelation in every heart today. We thank you because every question will be answered and every doubt will be resolved. 
and there will be a free flow of your spirit by the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' mighty name. We pray. Amen. Open your Bibles. First Corinthians four. First Corinthians chapter four and verse six. First Corinthians four and verse six. Uh, I read it says, and this means, brethren, I have been a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. He says that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. It says that none of you be puffed up one for against another. I'm going to read it again. You know, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, and these things, brethren, says I have been a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos. He says that you might learn in us not to think of, of men above what is written. It says that none of you be puffed up one against another. And so when he says, and these things, brethren, what's new so you have to read you know the verse before all right and personally i would like to start from verse one actually so let me from this one it says let the man so account of us so this was paul speaking and he was, he was speaking about the ministry gifts actually because if you read from first corinthians 2 he was addressing the vision of the church and the division was caused primarily because people were separating you know themselves from one you know from one minister to the other some said i'm a paul some were saying i'm of apollos some were saying i'm of peter in fact some interestingly we're saying i'm of christ i'm not of any man i'm of christ you know so you know after after he addressed you know those things about separation then he now begins he now began to speak concerning ministers all right and then he says let a man so account of us as ministers of christ and are stewards of the mysteries of god all right i'm not going to talk so much about that he then says moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful so paul is saying that first of all he regards himself and he expects every minister to regard himself as a steward of the ministry of God. And then he says the fundamental uh, responsibility of the steward, I expect that you're writing, the fundamental responsibility of the steward is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now, he continues, he says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. He says, for I know nothing by myself. But am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me, it's the Lord. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the earth. Of, of the earth. And he says, and then shall every man have praise of God. So what Paul is speaking about here is simple. Having said that it is important that, you know, that uh, ministers are faithful, he now lets you know that the purpose of that faithfulness is because you will be judged by God. And I think it's very important to start from there, really. You see, as, as ministers of the gospel, I think it's important for us to know that we are going to be judged by God. <laughs> we're going to be judged by God. You know, we're not doing the things we do. The, the end product, even though the end of the thing we do is to, is to, you know, is to see that men are saved, men come to knowledge of the truth, all right? men are trained for the work of ministry. I think it's important to know that you're not just doing it for just anybody. Do you understand? You're actually serving god through me right and god determines if your if your service is worthy i think it's very important to say that you know because when you know that you are going to be judged for a particular thing that you do i think it influences how you do it and particularly when you respect or you reverence or you fear the person who you know will score your will score your shit or mark your script there's just a way you know there's a way we you know, the, I don't know if this happened to you, but there, when I was in secondary school, I used to have, well, most of the teachers, to be honest, you know, that would, you know, say they like you, so on and so forth. And so because they like you, 
you don't want to fold their hand in exams. You don't want to. And so, you know, because the teacher is always saying he likes you, you are sick, you are brilliant, so on and so forth. You know that you have to do it in that particular class course. Because you know that as it's marking, first of all, as it takes your script and it sees your name, you know, in your mind, you're already thinking of how it's going to, you know, fantasize about marking scripts. And you're like, now imagine if I follow it hand. So you're like, no, I can't follow it hand. Right? Some of you can't even relate because I know no teacher like you. That's fine. I'm not judging you. But my point really is, <clears throat> is that, you know, because of the fact that you know the person who is marking the scripts or who is marking the sheets, it just influences, you know, how you write or how you, you know, do that exam or do that paper. So when you know that your sacrifice, the work you do as a minister of the gospel is going to be judged by God, <laughs> how, how do you do it? And I think it's a very important place to start from. How do you do it? How do you do it? You know, when you realize that in as much as your teaching influences the people that you are teaching, more so your teaching will be judged by Jesus. It will be judged by God. You know, Paul was speaking in Acts chapter 20 and 28. You don't have to open it. He says, take it unto yourselves and also the flock of which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. He says, the Holy Ghost made you overseers. So even though you, you just, you know, you stepped out, you went on outreach, you met that guy on outreach, and, you know, you began to teach him the gospel, and then you began to follow up on him, and then just look at you guys just met through a natural means. Bible says the Holy Ghost made you an overseer over that guy. So you, you just met him randomly. Probably you met him in the hostel. Probably you met him on the road. Probably you met him through a friend. But then, now, the Bible says it was the Holy Ghost that made you an overseer. And it says to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So, he lets you know the price. It's the, it's the, the, the price is the blood of Jesus. Literally, Jesus, God had to come as a man for the sake of that person you are teaching. God had to come. God, the God of the, 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 God of the entire world, the God of the entire universe, came as a man lived among sinners, was born by a sinner. For that, because of that same man that you are talking to, that same man you are teaching the gospel, that's the reason the infinite God became a man, bound by time, space, and matter. He became a man just for the sake of that one soul. That one soul. Now imagine the extent of, the extent of faithfulness he expects of you as regards that soul. And so Paul is speaking about faithfulness in First Corinthians 4. And then he gets to first and so that was the context. And so he gets to verse six, and he now says, These things I have been a figure. So, what things? Things concerning faithfulness as a minister. He says, I have been a figure to transfer to myself and to Apollos. Meaning, not just am I telling you these things, I have imbibed it in myself and into Apollos as well. And so, why did we imbibe faithfulness into our conduct? So that you will learn in us. Not to think of any man about what is written. Now, interestingly, when you look at it in the KJV, KJV actually has any man as it's Now, when you look at other versions, say for example the NIV, the HTSB, you realize that they didn't put it there. They didn't because that was added by translators to aid understanding. But then it didn't do so much good there because the reality of it is, is the reality of it is it's not just about a man. It is you are not supposed to think about what is written. Meaning it's, it's beyond just a man. It's actually about a mindset, a thought pattern. Just, it's not just about men. It's not about thinking. It's not just saying, don't think about, don't think of men above what is written. No. He's saying, don't allow any thought pattern that is above what is written. So whether it is a man that told you, you know, it is somebody that told you, or it is, you know, it is, uh, it is even you that came about it by yourself through your discovery. He says, so far 
it is not in line with the written word. You are not allowed to speak it. And I think it's very important. You know why this is very important? It's important because the person telling you himself is actually the ministry gift over this place. So imagine Paul telling the Corinthian church that I have imbibed this thing so that you will learn not to think of any man, including me. You will learn not to think of anybody, including me, above what is written. What does that mean? You see, the minister of the gospel must learn to be objective with scripture. And that's what I'm going through. That's the reason for everything I've said so far. You must learn, see, in your faithfulness to the work, is your objectivity with scripture. I can tell how faithful you are to the work that God has committed to your hands by how objective you are with Christian doctrine. And by objectivity, I mean also how diligent you are with Bible study. How diligent you are. You know, you can't just afford to believe anything because people say it. And it doesn't matter. You see, when, when we say that, don't because people said it. People often think we are talking about false teachers. That's not, that's not what we are saying. Even from people that you are confident about, even from people that you are sure that they know the word, you don't take it because they said it. You take it because you saw it in the word. You don't take it because, oh, I trust this person. Ah, he cannot tell me what is wrong. Ah, oh, my word now. Yeah. No, 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 that's how it works. You take it because you can accurately see by yourself from scripture that this is what it is. Look at Acts 17. <clears throat> Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. I'm going to read from verse 10. <clears throat> from verse 10, it says, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. He says, someone, someone is asking, why did he send them out by night? Well, if they had gone in the day, they would have been killed. Right? So, <laughs> he says, who coming? Peter. He says, went into the synagogue of the Jews. That's 11. This is where I'm going to. He says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. He says, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And what happened? And they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you can see an oxymoron here. It says they received the word with readiness of mind. And then it now says, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. I thought if you received the scripture, if you received it with readiness of mind, what are you searching for? Like, in your point of receiving with readiness of mind, does it not mean that you received, like, as best as saying, like, wow. I receive it, I agree. I agree. No, no, that's not how to receive. The way to receive readiness of mind is that you go back to it, you check it. One more thing, you know, you sit down with the Bible, you open it, everything the person said, you go after one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. You now see it for yourself, you now see ah, of a truth. What the person said is actually true. That's how to build conviction. How to, and that's the reason you have a lot of believers who know so many stuff, but they don't understand what they mean. They, they, <laughs> you know, the way I was trained, you know, when I said learning God's word, was for everything you believe, you must have at least five scriptural references for everything. At least five. So if you say you are saved by grace through faith, you must have at least five scriptures, of, like by heart. You must have at least five. That if someone wakes you up from the dream and say, how are you saved by grace through faith? And I say, you know, Bible says this, Bible says this, Bible says this, Bible says that. Now, imagine if you have that culture for everything, that culture for everything, where you are not allowed to say anything without being sure of it from the Bible. You are not, you are not allowed. 
You, you know, speak of anointing. Where in the Bible is it written that there is anointing? What is the anointing in the Bible? What is the function of the anointing? What is the function? The, uh, have you, was, was the anointing ever referenced in the epistles with the things of the Spirit? <laughs> was it ever referenced in the New Testament with the things of the Spirit? Those are questions you ask yourself. The blood. I plead the blood. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is the blood, you know, I've, I've told you guys before that discernment is not just being able to, you know, tell the difference between good and wrong. It's being able to tell the difference between what is correct and what sounds like it is correct. What is almost correct. It sounds like it. See, it's easy to say, what, uh, someone says Jesus is not Lord. Uh, it's easy to know that uh, this one is interesting now. Uh, I hope you know anyways. <laughs> that, uh, that was interesting. That's not true now. But, you know, when somebody comes around and then he says something, he says something, ah, you know, and everybody starts saying, word, word, mm, mm, deep. <laughs> you know, a, a, a teacher of the word, a student of the word is not excited. I'm not easily excited. You, you calm down. You, you've seen how things are. You know how easy it is to fall into error. So you're not easily excited when you hear new stuff. You want to calm down. What is he saying? You know, when people are shouting, you know, deep, deep, calm down. That thing you just said, say it again. Let me hear it well. Let me, let me hear what you just said. Let me hear your construction of those words. The words you use. Is that what it's actually saying? That's it. You know, just that you just know because you, know, you just jump around saying words. Think. Ask questions. I told I showed you guys something, for example, and I'm going to talk about it, you know, a bit more expressing in, in Caruso Bible Conference. Lucifer, do you realize that for a for a phrase that is so heavily used in Christianity, I mean heavily used in Christianity, do you realize that the Bible only mentions the name Lucifer once? Once. Once. And if I if I gave you guys an assignment, I told you guys. Go and check that name, Lucifer, and by context read and tell me who it was referring to. Interestingly, all of you came back and gave me the same answer. The people that were giving me funny answers, it was because of the mental models they had before. By the time I told them, remove everything you know before and just read by context. Who is this person talking about? I had a different answer. Oh, sorry, a different answer. So those are those are those are the ills. <laughs> you know, you know, those are the things. You know, don't don't just be quick, don't just say everything and everybody's saying. Don't just say it because everybody's saying it. What does it mean? Go and check. Go and check. And that doesn't and, and, and that's why I showed you Acts 17. It doesn't mean see the fact that you go to check what a man of God said or what a teacher of the Bible said, it doesn't mean you don't believe in, in what he's saying. Because clearly, as you see from this guy, in fact, it says they received the word, the readiness of mind. And how did they receive the readiness of mind? Because they went back to check. It shows that they actually were serious about it. That's why they went to check. So you go to check. So when James chapter 1, for example, James 1, when he talks about receiving the word with meekness, when we say to receive the word with meekness, the meekness there is not ah. I'm meek. No matter what you say, I'll just receive it because, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm rebellious to the word. That's not the point. Oh, see, get it. The meekness in, in itself is that you honor the word enough to go and check. It is honor, reverence, that makes you say, ah, these are the words of eternal life. I have to check if they are true. Because it directs the course of my entire life. It's so serious. Imagine someone, somebody believing that God punishes people with sickness. Do you know the person can be the person can be under 
you know, an attack of the devil, seek because of the devil, think it is God that is punishing him and he dies because of that sickness. That's how that's what bad believing can do to you. This is believing the wrong thing can alter the course of your life forever. For just think about it. There are certain people who kill themselves, suicide bombers, thinking that they are doing their God a favor. That I'm trying to let you see what believing can do to you. That's the truth. That's what you can do. So it can alter the course of your life. And so that's why it's important that you believe the right thing. It's a major, it's a major issue. It's a major matter. What do you believe? And so I'm not just saying this thing for when you hear ministers that you know, oh, this one is not so sound. So normally you filter everything the person is saying. Even from ministers that sound, even from me, even from me, learn to go back and check. And that's why I always tell you guys, I don't expect you to agree with everything I'm saying immediately. I don't expect it. I, do, I don't. Because do you, do you know how long it took me to come up with my convictions? Do you know how many hours of study? Do you know how long it took me to sit down and read and think? And get confused and get answers and get questions again. So how will I how will I teach you what I've learned in five years? And I teach you in you know six hours, and then you just agree. In fact, I'm always scared. I'll be scared of something like that. You just agree, just like that. Something that me, I had it, I had questions, I was confused, I had to go and study again. You you just take it and then you just agree, just like that. I mean, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't you you must you must just have questions. You must, you must think, you must say, ah, if, if he says this, then what he means is that this is this, and this is this. Can that be possible? Then you go back and study. Then you go back and study. So when you're now done studying, all right? Now, it's not possible that you may have questions. Then you come back, you know, you send me a DM. Say, ah, see, I have a question. You said this, you said this, you said this. So if you said this and this, this and this and this is what you are trying to say, or this is what you are implying, Therefore, then I can say, oh, that's not how I meant it. This is how I meant it. Or actually, that's what I meant. That is how you build, that's how you build doctrine as a minister. That's how you, that's how you build conviction. You check it again. You check it again. So what that does to you is you now become scripturally intelligent. When people say things, you're not you just, you just, you just, you're calm. You want to hear them. I just say, what is this person trying to say? You know, you must have that future. Don't just take things in. Because people say it, because that's a popular phrase. You know, for example, I'm going to address this phrase in the Bible Conference as well. But bodily exercise profited little. Body, you know, and so <laughs> because the Bible says bodily exercise profited little, they now say they use that caption for gym picture. Was he talking about going to the gym? <laughs> Is that what he's talking about? Don't just don't just use things because that's what everybody's using. Now it's okay to now, I mean in some cases it's okay to you know to catch on, catch vibes to flex, so on and so forth. But do you know the right thing? Don't, don't be joking with something you don't understand. It, it's only someone that understands it that should be joking with it. But you're joking. Okay, tell us the actual thing you don't know. All right? So I said all of these things just to say that as a minister of the gospel, you must learn to be objective. And the reason this is important is because, you see, whatever you imbibe as a minister or as a Bible teacher is what the people you train will learn as well. Is what is what people train. I can say this for I can say this for um, for for certainty. Folks that have been training for about a year now, they are very objective. Very. In fact, some some of you guys send me some questions, and I'm like, ah, wow, <laughs> you know, like, ah. in, fact, I, I, in fact, I'm sure that there are some questions that some of you have sent me. I told you, I just told you. See, I don't have the answer for this one. This is as much as I know. I'm very sure that there are people like. In fact, I think some, some, one of you still asked me a question. I said, 
you know what, I'm going to take some time to study better on it and I'm going to talk about it in the Arizona Bible Conference. All right? So if you've been listening to me for a while, naturally be objective. And so I want you to also imbibe that in yourself. Imbibe it in yourself. All right? But it's not dishonor. It's not dishonor to hear something and not agree. And now, it's not just that you don't now just disagree just because you don't like the way it sounds. No. Is that you now go and go and check. You get, you now go and study. All right? Now, now, when you now study and you know the truth, I think it's also an important thing to say, and I'm going to talk about it, you know, when I do our, I'm going to do a charge soon enough on the man and the world. All right? You know, discernment is not the same thing as the ability to speak. That you know something is wrong does not mean you are in the position to correct it. And I think that, see, that, that place, eh, you see, that thin line is where self-control, restraints, and maturity, that's that line. Yeah. You can know the right things and also know that I'm not in the position to correct. <laughs> All right? You can, know the, you can know the right thing, but you also know I'm not in the position. Let me give you a very good example. Look at Acts 15. Let me show you something. Actually, this is not even my sermon. Okay? Acts 15. <clears throat> I just have to talk about this. Acts 15. So, um, I don't, don't let me bore you with all the details. Basically, Paul and uh, Paul and Barnabas had already been doing ministry among the Gentiles. All right? They had gotten a couple of Gentiles saying they are plant, planting churches among Gentile churches, all right. And so some folks came around and said, Well, if you have to be saved, you must be circumcised. Uh, by trying to be circumcised, what you're just basically saying is that they have to follow the laws, all right. And so, you know, Paul, of course, refuted that strongly because he believed that salvation is by grace through faith. Now, don't forget, it is Paul and Barnabas that were doing the work, so it's both of them. So, both of them would have had that revelation, even though it was Paul that primarily had the revelation. Barnabas would have shared the same, you know, shared the same um, school of thought. All right, that a man is only saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, not of works. All right, very good to do. So now, Paul and Barnabas are called to Jerusalem in Acts 15. Look at Acts chapter 15, <clears throat> Acts chapter 15, and verse 2. 2. Look at what it says. It says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas, it says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. It says, and being brought on their way to the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles and the cause of great joy, you know, on and on and on. Verse 4, they were come to Jerusalem, they received the church, apostles and elders, and they declared the things. Now, where I'm going to is that when you get to verse 7, when you get to verse 7, you would realize how that it says, and when they had been much disputed, Peter rose up. So, Peter now stood up and then shared his experience, spoke about his experience. After Peter, then we see James, who was the head of the church, speak. Now, a, a better insight into this story is in Galatians 2. Because of time, I'm not going to run there, but I want you guys to check it later on. Galatians 2. Paul actually spoke about, Paul actually speaks in Galatians 2 about when folks from Jerusalem first came. Before he even went, when folks from Jerusalem first came, all right, when they came to um to where they were, all right, among the Gentiles, all right, and they were peddling the idea that people are only saved by circumcision. You would notice that Bible says there, in fact, Paul said it, he says, I withstood Peter to the face. Now, Paul and Barnabas were there. They would have had disciples there. They would have had men that they were teaching the word, taught him a word, 
Do you understand? And one guy said, you know, maybe they, they, they got them, said, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Those guys would have been having their own disciples. They would have been teaching in other places. But when you stand before Peter to correct, the only person that has the air country, that has the mouth to talk, is who? Is Paul. Not because the other guys don't know the correct thing, but because there is such a thing as authority. Know your place. So I'm saying that so that you understand that because all of these things are is necessary. You need to understand, first of all, that you have to be objective Bible truth. Alongside your objectivity, you now need to know that knowledge does not equal the right to correct. If, if, if the knowledge is burning in you so much that you want to teach some people, Get disciples to teach. Don't now know. Don't now know the correct thing. And then just jump on Twitter. Then you now you know you now quote the tweets. But then when you know is a man of God, you now quote the tweets because you want to show that you know you know the Greek and the Hebrew that there was something in me in one place. It's not the son It's not ah, God sees my heart. It's not the son You know, there's just something. There's a perspective to it that I don't really get. That I actually know. Let me just you know. Let me just teach you some you know things here and there. Use your brain. Use your brain. The fact that you know the correct... And this is where maturity comes in. I know the way knowledge can be. I know what it's like when you... When it seems like somebody is teaching the wrong thing, everybody is feeling like they... You know, and you already know the answer that once you drop the answer, it will scatter everything person has said. I know that kind of feeling. You know, you're just on your chair, you're just looking, you're smiling like, ah, if I say this thing? You know, if I say this thing? But you see, maturity is to know when you are allowed to talk. And when you are not allowed to, that's maturity. So, knowledge or understanding the right thing or discernment does not equal the right to correct. It doesn't equal it. But at the same time, it doesn't change the fact that you are supposed to know. So, you can know that something is wrong, it doesn't mean you are in the place to correct it. It doesn't mean so. It doesn't mean you are in the place to correct it. That's where maturity comes in. That's where self-control comes in. That's where you can be in the same meeting, you know. What does is saying? Okay, maybe it's not necessarily like it's wrong. But there's a thing saying that not like it. Your face doesn't have to show it. That's maturity. You can just look, have a straight face. In fact, you are writing. You are copying on your notes. Just like you everybody's writing, you are writing. You are not trying to give a particular kind of body gesture so that people around you know that, ah, this guy probably knows more, knows better. That's immaturity. Oh, see more. See more Bible. That's immaturity. Maturity will make you calm down. That joke, that bad words, that kosher, you write. You listen. You will pray when they say you pray. You will lift your hands. It's pride that will make you, you know, say, well, what does he know? Now put your hands in your pocket. Ah. Oh, see more words. Oh, see more. To ban more. By the time you learn it, Baba call humility more. You will learn humility together with it. Right, so just thought to say that the objective with the word it doesn't matter who the person is that is teaching it, learn to go back, be objective, train the people you are teaching to be objective as well. Don't be scared of objectivity. That's the thing. If you are scared of making the people that you are teaching be objective with the truth, what he means is that you are planning to go into error. I told you guys before, a discerning congregation is always a blessing to the pastor. <laughs> that's the truth. When you have people who are discerning, naturally you'll be scared to say rubbish. There's some things I cannot say here. It's just the truth. I can't get away with it. Before I'm done with teaching, I've seen voice notes in my DM. It's just the reality. 
you will ask me a question. So there are some things I cannot just come here and say and get. So a discerning audience is actually a blessing to the teacher. That's the reality. So you shouldn't be scared of people being objective. Because if you are sure that what you thought is the truth of, the, of God's word, you shouldn't be scared of being objective, of them being objective, of them knowing when you did something wrong, or of them knowing if you say something wrong, unless you want to tell them something wrong. All right? So learn that. But then most of all, learn that knowledge or discernment doesn't equate responsibility to correct, or doesn't equate, you know, the avenue of the opportunity to correct. Amen. Amen. So let's get into our series. Time is long gone. Ephesians 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. I hope that was um, instructive to you. So Ephesians 5. <clears throat> so last week, um, last we did, we spoke about um being filled with the spirit, and that was Ephesians 5 from verse 18, where it says that um it says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess. It says, Bobby. Filled with the spirit, you see, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you see, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And I try to explain to you guys how that when we speak about being filled with the spirit, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's primarily an Old Testament phrase, all right, that refers to you know, yielding yourself to the spirit of God, all right. And we said that it always involves an activity, okay. And so we looked at Luke, we used some references, Luke chapter 1 and verse 41. That was when Elizabeth prophesied. He says um, Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and she prophesied. All right. Look at um, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Zacharias was filled with the Spirit and he prophesied. We looked at Acts chapter 2, where it says, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. All right. Um, Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. He says, after they were done praying, he says they were filled with the Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. So, what we saw at the end of the day is that when you see you know, that it says a person is filled with the Spirit, there is always a subsequent supernatural activity, most of the time of trance. All right, most of the time of trance, there's always a subsequent supernatural activity that is a function of the um, flow of the Spirit. All right, so I try to explain, and I try to do a little explanation around why it seems um, the uh, documentation of spiritual activities in the Book of Acts usually looks a bit different from the epistles. All right, I, I said some things around that, but because of time, I'm not going to go into details, but you can just listen to, you know, last week's sermon to have a better insight into that, all right? But I just tried to explain the intricacies as to why it seemed as though in the book of Acts, the indwelling of the Spirit seems to be different from the baptism of the Holy Ghost, all right? But then when you now look at the epistles, you realize that the baptism of the Holy Ghost refers to salvation, all right? Because, for example, First Corinthians 5 and the 7 says, for by one Spirit, are we all baptized into one body? Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, you know, slave or free, and we have all been made to drink into one spirit. So you realize from the epistles that the baptism of the spirit refers to salvation. All right, Ephesians chapter one and verse thirteen, you know, it tells you that in Him you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The woman also after that you believed, you were sealed the Holy Spirit of promise. All right. So what that means is that a man who believes the gospel has received the spirit in his heart. Hallelujah. So what I just said about that is to say that, you know, you then begin to see, you know, little you know, differences here and there in the documentation. But I did a bit of an explanation as to why you have that. Because of time, I'm not going to do that. But let me just continue. All right. So it says, um, so you now say, it says, be not drunk with wine, it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So as we said, being filled with the Spirit is going to lead to an activity. All right. And okay, I said this also in last week. I said that you 
you you but because you are filled with the spirit you speak and you can speak to be filled again the evidence of being filled with the spirit is that you speak so you can speak in tongues for example you can speak a word of prophecy all right you can speak inspired utterances all right as evidences of being filled or you can also get yourself filled by speaking in tongues all right so 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 when when you need to be filled with the holy ghost just something like you just wait all right and then let's because because if you remember in first Corinthians 14 and verse 26 first Corinthians 14 and verse 26 he says how is it then brethren when we all come together every one of you has a sound has a doctrine has a tongue has a revelation has an interpretation so every single one of us have all those things we have it already we have all those things so when we need to be filled with the spirit which is giving all those things as evidence so in fact when in first Corinthians 14 verse 26 when he says what is it then brethren every one of you has what he was saying really was how is it then brethren when we come together every one of you is filled with the holy ghost that's what he's saying there because being filled with the holy ghost will now lead you to do what to speak so because i feel the holy ghost i can give a tongue because i feel the holy ghost i can give a revelation because i feel the holy ghost i can give an interpretation all right because i feel the holy ghost i can give a doctrine by the spirit of god all right so in other words the the, the we we are always in the state of the spirit and we can decide to be filled ah, 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 ah. ah that's some good stuff there we are always in a state of the spirit and we can decide to be filled it's a decision that we can take we can decide to be filled and then when we are filled we can then see activity but you see we can start activity in us we can start being filled how fundamentally tongues 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 as you yield yourself over to tongues what are you doing you are yielding yourself to the spirit you are yielding yourself to the feeling of the spirit you are welling it up in you yeah you know you're staring and staring and staring and staring it up you're staring the water up that's what you do when praying tongues and then you pray in tongues, you get filled, and then you speak. Now, let me, I'm just going to say this in passing anyways, and I'm going to talk about it better when I teach on supernaturalness of speaking in the month of July. <clears throat> All right. Um, you see, you need to learn that you can flow in prophecy without tongues. In other words, you can be filled without tongues. Ah, ha, ha, ha. You can be filled without tongues. Let's stop there. Stop the time. Don't, make, don't let me go down that, that road. So... <clears throat> But we're going to talk about it in July when I talk about supernaturalness of speaking. Anyways, uh, mm, so verse 20. So having said, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he says, singing and making melody, he says, in your heart to the Lord. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He, say, he says, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, by we being filled with the spirit, what happens? We speak in sounds and means of spiritual songs. All right, and in doing that, we can do that to give thanks to the Father. Hallelujah. We can do that. So, one of the most beautiful ways you give thanks in church is singing in sounds and means of spiritual songs. You know, by the grace of God in our subsequent you know, Terizo Monthly meeting, I'm going to be very intentional about you know, singing sounds, singing sounds about the things we learn. When we learn something, we sing it in sounds. All right. We just sing, sing sounds to express, you know, our hearts of gratitude to God. Hallelujah. You know, they are beautiful, beautiful. I you know the beauty of sounds is that <laughs> there's never a limit. In one meeting, you can have 30 sounds. <laughs> you can have 30 sounds in one meeting. All right? So that's something to look forward to. 
Okay, but the point of this is just by being filled with the Holy Ghost, we can speak to ourselves and sound the news of spiritual songs. And in doing so, what are we doing? We're expressing gratitude to God from our hearts. Glory to Jesus. So let's continue. Now, pay attention to something. He says, giving thanks for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He now says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So this, this is why context is very, very important. You know, I, 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 I'm not sure if I've said this before, but I think I have, that in the originals, when, it, when these you know, books were initially written, they were not written as books. Don't forget, they were written as letters. All right? They were written as letters, particularly the epistles. They were written as letters to churches. Now, when I write a letter to you, I don't know about you guys, but when I write a letter, which I've not done in the way I read but when you write a letter, you don't write a letter, hopefully, in verses. All things being made for. You don't write. You don't write in verses. You don't write in chapters. All right. You write the letter as a letter. All right. Now, this the verses and chapters were then put there by translators to aid referencing. So, because imagine how hard it would be if you wanted to reference, um, you know, something that Paul said, look at Ephesians, and then you say. Ephesians paragraph 4, line 10. You know, it, there's going to be a little bit of an issue. So, for the sake of referencing, they put chapters and verses. In other words, let me say this. It would aid you in your Bible interpretation. And I think I'm saying a little, a little of some of you don't say there's a Bible conference. It would aid you in your Bible interpretation if you will learn to use chapters and verses only for referencing. Again, it would help you majorly in your Bible interpretation if you learn to use chapters and verses only for references, meaning you do not allow chapters and references, or sorry, chapters and verses help you interpret the Bible. No. Let them be, be for what they are used for, references. This is the reason why it's not make more sense why we say always say things like, if you want to understand the book, read the entire book. Because in the real sense of it, the writer never wrote with the mindset of having chapters and verses, all right? He never wrote with the mindset of separating some things from some other things. He just wrote it as an entire letter. So if, if you are going to read to understand, you will read the entire letter. I mean, if you are reading a letter, for example, all right, that someone wrote to you, chances are if you read it to the middle and then you stop, when you are going to pick up the letter again to read, in, in, in a lot of cases, you, you want to start all over again because you feel like there are some things you would have said before that you would have forgotten and would actually help you better or would inform your understanding of subsequent things that he or she is going to say, all right? So most of the time, even when you read it, even when you read the letter to her and you could not finish it, all right? By the time you pick up the letter again, you only continue if you are sure that you have fresh information in your mind about all that the person had said. If not, you want to read it all over again. That's the same way the epistles are. They are letters. They are letters. So your, 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 your understanding of chapters and verses should only be restricted to referencing not Bible interpretation not Bible interpretation that's by the way right that's by the way but why why said all of that is simply this is that so don't look at verse 21 differently because it's a context it's a flow it's a flow from verse 7 from verse 18 be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. How are you filled with the Spirit? Speaking to one another. 
All right. So it's it's an activity that everybody in the church does to each other. It's a speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Um, right. Um, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks. Right. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting. Right. Yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Together together so the submitting of yourselves one to another in the fear of god has something to do with what happens when we speak to ourselves in sounds and hymns and spiritual songs giving thanks you know making melody in our hearts but giving thanks to the father all right the submitting yourselves must be seen together with that context and it's very important because i'm going to say something very soon i'm going to explain something very soon all right and it's going to be very important to have this foundation all right because and the reason is because now when you look at that verse that says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of god now i've heard um i've heard a particular i heard someone you know give this particular um give a particular explanation for this verse all right about submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of god and the person um said that the submission there all right that it's um how now that it, um, it's it's not a it's not a two-way thing that it's the word the word submission there implies that somebody is over the other person all right so one person has to submit to the other person that's the idea of submission and that makes sense to be honest actually makes a lot of sense and then so now you make things a lot more interesting what hypostasis which is submission in the greek hypostasis actually the word that actually you know um means to obey all right it's actually a word that refers to somebody obeying the other person okay now that makes a lot of sense in fact now the person now even went a bit further so now explain how that that is the reason by the time you read subsequently after he says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of god now pay attention pay attention the person says that he now begins to realize that he then highlights all of the possible the three major areas where submission is expected and that is where wives to husbands that's number one children to fathers that's number two and number three um slaves to masters again wives to um husbands children to fathers slaves to masters all right now if you were to just hear this like just normally listen to it and i must i must say that this the person actually said this is a very theological sound person that i respect by the way all right now normally if you hear this stance normally normally you will not see anything wrong with it normally it makes it makes total sense actually it makes total sense submission opposed in fact you use the greek opposed as it means to be from the normal sense of submission somebody has to submit to the other so what you must have been saying when he says submitting yourselves so and in fact what the person was actually trying to do was because the person was trying to talk about you know you know feminists who have issues with the idea of a woman submitting to her husband all right so we're trying to explain how that when you see submission in scripture submission was always referring to there must be one person over the other. Now, the problem here is that it is context. But I'm going to explain what I mean by context. The, the, the sentence has its context already from verse 18. Look at it. He said from verse 17, do, do not be drunk in one which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What do you now do when you are filled with the Spirit? speaking to one another so it gives you an idea of being filled with the spirit as is done in the church 
among ourselves when we are filled with the spirit what do we do we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs we sing and make melody in our hearts to the lord giving thanks to the father uh giving thanks to the always for all things unto god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of god so the context of this of that sentence in verse 21 is actually coming from verse 17 which is about being filled with the holy ghost so the problem here is that the person used verse 21 in the context of the remaining part of the chapter and not the context of where it was coming from again because this might you know, be a bit confusing let me just put it this way rather than the, the the way the person presented it the person presented it as though the context of from verse 7 from verse 18 above into the holy ghost stopped at verse 20. then a new conversation began at verse 21 downwards whereas it's not that way the way it actually is is that from verse 18 the context actually continues till verse 20 till verse 20 then a new conversation begins in verse 21 and it's not entirely it's not entirely a new conversation as i'm going to show you very soon it's actually still along the same context but it's a new conversation but it's a new conversation that is reliant on the previous conversation all right just like every letter even when i say even when i start saying something new oftentimes i'm not it is kind of based on some things i've said before all right even if it's an entirely new information let me go a step further to explain so now now here, here here are some interesting things about that verse when it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of god now the word that phrase one to another there is the greek word alelon a-l-l-e-l-o-n alelon now that particular phrase is i think that we, we've actually used that phrase before in you know we've seen that phrase in one of the previous verses all right and that was ephesians 4 ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Go there. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. It says, Wherefore, putting away line, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. What so the phrase one of another there is the Greek word alelon. Now, what does alelon mean? Alelon, as I've probably told you guys before, is from is a double, is a double derivative of the Greek word alus being a-l-l-o-s alos means another of the same kind all right for example when it says i'll send you another comforter that's alos paracletos that's another comforter of the same kind meaning the holy spirit who is coming is just going to is going to be just like me all right so because there are two there are two words for another in the greek we have alos and we have heteros alos means another of the same kind heteros means another of a different kind all right so you see alus. So what is trying? So by the time he uses a double derivative of the word alus, he's trying to let you know that we are members alike. Do you understand? You are just like me. We are the same, really. Do you understand my point? So that's the idea of the word alelon. It's a double derivative. So now when he says submitting yourselves one to another, it already gives you an idea of so that phrase one to another is from the Greek word alelon. Alelon. All right, both of us are alike. So it's not he is not putting here the idea of somebody being different from the other or somebody being above the other. What he's actually doing 
is giving you the mindset that we are the same. Why? Because in the previous verse, he says we should be speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Meaning, in this particular context, all of us are blessing, and all of us will be blessing ourselves. It won't matter who you are, it won't matter if you are the pastor in the church and somebody is a member at the back. In this context, within this usage, we are all equal in the sense that we are all blessing each other. Because he says, speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we are all speaking to ourselves. All right, it's not a it's not a top-down kind of thing. It's actually all of us on the same plane speaking to ourselves, ministering to ourselves, and that's not all. Now the word submitting there, agreed, it's it's taken from the word, it's actually the word upostasso from upostasis. All right, upostasso is the verb from upostasis. Now, interestingly, the kind of verb used there is a reciprocative pronoun. So what it means here is whatever is done to one party is done by that party to the other party. All right. So, for example, when you say um, the boys are fighting, all right, the boys are fighting. Oh, there's no pronoun in that case. Let me say, or just say they are fighting. Beautiful. They are fighting. They is a pronoun. Now, in this case, all right, because of the context of the usage, it's a reciprocative pronoun in this context. Because for you to fight, there are two people involved, and what one person is doing to the what one person is doing. Is what the other person is doing as well so they are both sharing an action i mean this thing is something you can literally check online anyways just check reciprocative pronoun online and you would have i'm not a, i'm not the english person it's just because of greek grammar i have to do all of this all right so you can just check it online so you better understand what it's all right but it's a reciprocative pronoun meaning whatever is done is the same whatever the subject does is the same thing the object does to the subject i'm sorry i'm going to english grammar it just means when there are two entities, whatever one person is doing is the same thing the other person is doing. So it's a reciprocative pronoun. So in other words, the submission can't be a one-sided submission. The submission is definitely something that involves both parties, meaning both of us are submitting to ourselves at the same time. And I'm going to explain it just for you to make content, for you to make sense very soon. It's going to make very, very good sense. So, in the church, now do not forget that this submission has its context. It is the same context we've been using from verse 18. It is within the church. As in, when I say within the church, I mean with, with, during service. I think it's better to say that because the context is speaking to ourselves in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, that already gives you an idea of it is when we are gathered. It's not just something you do when you are alone. You can't be speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs when you are alone. No, it has a context when we are gathered together. That's when we speak to ourselves in Psalms and in our spiritual songs. Meaning, the context of this submission as well is one that has to do with the gathering of believers. It's one that has to be that because let me say this important thing: ministry to the saints flows with honor. For you to for you to be able to get blessed by somebody's ministry towards you. You have to submit yourself. Submission doesn't mean you have to bow down on the ground. It just means you have to agree or accept. You know, you have to receive that person's ministry to you. For example, if a, if a person walks up to you and says, I have a word of knowledge for you, you have to be humble enough to open your heart to receive it. If you look at the person and say, I mean, what, what can someone like this want to say to me? You can't receive. You can't receive. All right. So the way you receive, all right, from the ministry of the spiritual person, 
which in this context now is speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs don't forget the way we will all be blessed by ourselves is that whenever anybody comes to meet me even if the person is in that sense seemingly the lowest in the church if he comes to meet me and i'm even the pastor of the church what am i going to do i'm going to humble myself enough to hear what he has to say to me so he can bless me so can you begin to see the idea of the submission now so the submission has a context the submission here is not a submission that goes on in other places. It's actually the submission that happens within the context of the gathering of saints. When we are speaking to ourselves in sounds and in the spiritual songs, when we are gathered together as brothers and sisters, we are submitted to ourselves. We are submitted to ourselves. So the, the major defined the defined factor for this verse is there are three things. Number one, there was an initial context being spoken about. All right. There was an initial context being spoken about of speaking to yourselves in some and spiritual songs. All of us speaking to one another. That was the initial context. That's number one. Number two, the Greek word for one to another, alelon, a double derivative of alus, meaning it is something that we do to ourselves because we are distinct. In this, so normally, a in the real sense, a pastor and a member, they're actually not the same. Are you with me? In the, in the sense of salvation, they are the same. But when it comes to authority in the church, they are not the same. So for Paul to have used a word that implies that we are the same here, or that we are equal here, he can't have been trying to show some power dynamics. In other words, he had balanced them together. So now make it interesting, the kind of pronoun used here is a reciprocative pronoun. A pronoun that implies that whatever one party does to the other is what the other party is doing at the same time to you. So it's a... so. So it's a submission that is, you know, going hand in hand. As I submit to you, you also submit to me. So that submission has an has its own context. That's my point. That's what I'm trying to say, basically. So now let's continue, and it's going to make sense as I read down, as I read onwards. Uh, this, what is it now? I'm sorry. Okay, from verse twenty, from verse twenty-two, it now says, "Wise." Notice that before now, he was addressing all of us as just members in the church. That's why it's important. From Ephesians 4, the context of Ephesians 4, right, into Ephesians 5, was just addressing us within church. He didn't give us any special name. He didn't address us as, you know, anything special. He addressed all of us as believers, just in the church normally. Do you understand? Now, he now gets to a particular point, now begins to make distinction. So now we are now seeing a new context in that sense. There is now a context of family because now he talks about wives. Are we together? So let's continue. He says, Wives, submit yourself to your own husband. Notice he doesn't say submit yourself one to another. So this is clearly a different context. It's not, it's, it's, it's there. He says, Submit yourselves to your own husband as unto the lord so clearly here he doesn't say submit yourself one to another that's not he doesn't use that phrase submit yourselves to your husband so then we are not arguing it submission in the house or in the family is the wife unto the husband now it doesn't matter how for how long you know a contrary ideology has perpetrated it doesn't matter for how long people have said you know, that's not true, you know, uh, this thing, um, you know, it, it sounds patriarchal. <laughs> what is the order, what is the order of the way things are done in the church? Wives submit their husbands. 
Now let's continue. He says, as unto the Lord. So pay attention. He says, as unto the Lord. So meaning, our understanding of submission to the husband would be our understanding of submission to the Lord. In other words, a wife who cannot, a woman, a sister in church, let me now put it in context, a sister in church who finds it hard to submit to the Lord cannot submit to her husband. The problem, and I'm going to say this now, the problem, I think I said this in Carizo meeting last year, the problem with most people is that they first see husband and wife as husband and wife. The first way you are supposed to see them is believers who has a local church who are submitted to somebody. Having seen them that way, you can now see them within the context of marriage as husbands and wives. Just because that's simply the way, that's also like pretty much the way Paul gives instruction in Ephesians. He has been addressing all of us as believers generally. And now, having addressed all of us as believers and spoken about the things that we could do together as believers, he now begins to move on into the intricacies of, you know, various personal, uh, what would I call it now, contexts. Okay? So, he says, why submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord? He says, for the husband is the head of the wife. He says, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so, it's important also that you pay attention to the way the words are used. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So, the kind of headship we see here that, sorry, that the husband has over the wife is actually just as Christ is the head of the church. He says, and he's the savior of the body. So, meaning that we must see the lordship in that sense that the husband has over the wife based on the kind of lordship that Christ has over the church. Over the church. And so, when in, in, in the Christian faith or in the gospel, what is our idea of being a master or being a lord of lordship? It's service. It's service. Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Luke 22. Look at verse, uh, where is it now? 25. Look 22 from verse 25 to 27. Look 22 from verse 25 to 27. So this was Jesus. He says, And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over, over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Says, but ye shall not be so. It says, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. It says, and he that is chief, as he that doctor. says, for whether is greater, he that seated at root or he that says, it says, it's not he that seated at root, but I am among you as he that serves. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Look at John 13, just to you know, make it more clear. John chapter 13, from verse 1 to 7. That's a lot to read. But let's see what we can. John 13. And look at this very interesting statement from verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own in the world, he loved them unto the end. He says, And supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of you know, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now look at verse 3. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God, 
and went to God. He says, He rises from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel and guarded himself. And basically, he began to wash the feet of the disciples. So, in other words, now look at this thing. He says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and he went to God. You know, if, if you would hear something like this, you think the next thing that also happens is a miracle. Like, I mean, he just said, God, Jesus having known that God has committed all things into his hands and that he was come from God, you know, and was going to, you know, he was going to go to God and come from God and went to God. Like, the next thing you would expect is that he would just say, because of that, as he stood up, you know, all the disciples just fell down at his glory. But no, his understanding of his nature as deity made him do what? Made him sacrifice. So, having understood all of this, what did he do? He took up his girl and then he began to wash his disciples' feet. So, in other words, our understanding of being a master or being a boss in the kingdom is sense. That, that, that's what authority is. Authority is service. That's why the meaning of ministry is service. Dakonia, service. Just as a pastor, <laughs> you're a chief servant. That's who you are. That's who a disciple is. You're a chief servant. You are, you are serving the people. I'm here to serve you. That's literally what it is. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to... That, like, I'm not the one on the receiving end. You are the one. <laughs> you are the one on the receiving end. That's the truth. All right, and so back to Ephesians 5. Back to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Oh, glory, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God. Ephesians 5. He says, um, Therefore, as the church, from verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, he now says, So, our understanding of the subjection that the wife has to the husband is based on our understanding of the subjection that the church has to Christ. The church has to Christ. So, when we speak of submission, our vocabulary must not be based on what you find in Oxford Advanced Dictionary or Miriam Webster. Our, our use of words must be within the context of the Christian faith. Submission in the Christian faith is based on something. Lordship in the Christian faith is based on something. Alright? So, that must inform how you interpret words. You don't know interpret words anyhow. So, let's continue. So, it's, it's basic. We agree on one thing. Wives must submit to their husband. But how? Just as the, just as the church all right, is submitted to Christ. But that's not all. Now, continue. It says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So now, you are beginning to see what it means to be <laughs> in charge, to be the head of the family. The head. You know, he says, <laughs> says, love your wife as Christ also loved the church. And what did he say? He said, and gave himself for it. So how did he, <laughs> he didn't even let you assume. <laughs> he says, love as Christ loved the church. And how did, like, how did he love, he says, and gave, so Paul, Paul I feel like Paul in this this statement was trying to sell the idea to us not to get married. Like I feel like it was it had to make you understand how tough it is. So you probably say, ah, you know what, sir? I probably I probably would do this marriage thing. Let me just you know hands off. So he says, <laughs> you know, love just as Christ loved the church. He says and gave himself for her. What's the giving? Don't be thinking the giving giving himself for her is that you know he took her out on a date. <laughs> how did Christ give himself for the church? He died. 
he died. So in other words, what he said pretty much is that when you claim that you love as a man in the house, what he's trying to say is that you can put your life on the line in service. You can serve so much that you can put your life on the line. You know, people say things like, you know, I will never say I can die for you. Well, it seems like we see it from scripture. Yeah. I'm not saying that the person that said it, I'm not saying that the person who says it to you means it. I'm just saying it seems he has a precedence from scripture. That's what I'm saying, you know. But the point really is that our understanding of being the head is sacrifice. And so it becomes inverse because most of the time when people say, when you hear a man, oftentimes in argument, when you hear men shouts, I'm the head of this house, they are talking about everything else but sacrifice. Every other thing for sacrifice, interestingly. But that's not what scripture says here. The idea of a man being the head of the family or the head of the house is that he can sacrifice. Let's continue. Now, it says um, that he might sanctify and cleanse it from verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. It is so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet eateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So now let me say something. You see, and I said this in Carizo Capital. You see, the problem, the reason why we have people, or the reason we have people who are scared of the idea of submitting to a man is because they've forgotten the context of this part of this verse. Don't forget that before he tells wives to submit to wives to submit to their husbands, he already said in the previous verse that everybody should submit themselves to one another in the field of them. So don't forget, this is the way you should look at it. Whoever it is you are going to marry, or whoever it is your wife is, is actually your sister in the Lord. First and foremost, after you people die, and people, you know, in the resurrection, you will not be married. People just be brothers and sisters. <laughs> no marriage or anything like that. Yes, and no, all of you be like angels in heaven. No husband, no wife, nothing. That's the reality. Okay. So this person is your sister in the Lord. So before she's your wife. So that takes precedence. Before she is your wife, she's your sister in the Lord. She's a believer like you, who you are expected, because you are both believers, to be submitted to. However, the context of being the head comes to play in marriage. When maybe a decision is supposed to be taken in marriage, when you guys are doing things within the context of marriage, okay, you are the one who is the head. But within the context of we gathered as a local church, we gathered together. Do you understand? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So, meaning that normally, all right, I can expect that maybe if I'm slacking spiritually, I can expect to see because people people overshoot the idea of the husband being the head. The husband being the head doesn't change the fact that in some certain cases you can have a woman who is more spiritually sound than a husband. It's very possible. I don't like I don't if if we if we believe that we can have female pastors. We must actually allow for things like that. It will not be possible to see women who are sounder in the world or more sound in the world than their husbands. It's not impossible. So the reality of it is now, even if now, even though she's more sound in the world than her husband, in the house or within the context of them as a family, he is still the head. Do, do you understand? So you must see them first of first and foremost in Christ. These are people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Do you understand? So there are some things I cannot do to my sister in Christ. Do you understand? There are some, if my sister in Christ tells me, ah, you're not praying as well as you should. Jesus, I've noticed this and this and this and this. I, th- I think you should watch it. Because she's my sister in Christ, I can listen to her. And that is the basis for the submission in marriage. A sister who has not learned to submit in the local church can never, never, I repeat, never submit in a relationship. And this is one of the reasons why you must ensure that you never, never go into a relationship or never get married to somebody who is not in a local church, or who is not submitted to a local church. Be scared of submitting to a man who has nobody to submit to. You say, you say, I like, he has a mind of his own. That mind of his own that made you like him will soon make you a thing. Just very soon. It doesn't give you a little time. Your eyes will open. You are still being blinded by the veil of love. Don't worry. He's going to leave very, very soon. You say, ah, I like him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't think the way everybody does. He has a mind of his own. Is that mind of his own that we used to think. <laughs> you know, soon enough you start saying, why don't you think like everybody else? Why? Why do you always have the mind of your own? Exactly. Just that. So you must ensure that whoever it is, even, and this is even a general thing, anybody you, you know, are in close ties with, you must always have somebody that, they can, that you can report them to. It's just, like, it's just the dynamics of life. You, know that? you must always have a man without accountability. Ah, run, away, run away from such a person. Or a lady without accountability. Run away from such a person. You must, the person must have an accountability structure. So now, you can't be scared of submitting to a man who you know, first of all, within the context of the church, he sees him as a sister in Christ. He submits to me as a sister in Christ because we submit to ourselves. Do you understand? In the context of as a local church, in the family is dead, but as brother and sister in Christ, he actually submits to me. He knows I can be a blessing to him. And within the context of the church as well, he submits to other brothers, he submits to the pastor. Meaning, if there is an issue, I can call one of these guys and say, what is or you know, he's doing this and doing this and doing that. Do you understand? That kind of thing. Because he's a brother in Christ. That influences, all right? That influences our interaction. And that influences our... So if I know that this brother is submitted in local church, I wouldn't have a problem submitting to him. So the problem is that we are trying to make... First of all, we are trying to use this kind of um, instruction for unbelievers. It cannot work. That's my one. Number two, we are trying to use this kind of instruction for people who have a mindset of submission that is coming from the world. No, it must be seen within the context of scripture. And we need the context of that particular verse. Wow, time is long gone. So I'm not going to rush through it. All right. So he continues and then says in verse um, 13, he says, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, he says, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverenced her husband. So that's the end. The, that's just the point. The point is, let everybody make sure that he loves his wife just like himself, and the wife reverences her husband. But let me just say something. Do you, do you realize that it's interesting that in this context of Ephesians 5, Paul speaks more about the man loving the wife than the woman submitting. Have more verses speaking about the man loving the wife than the woman submitting. But it's like as though we've, we've skewed We've, we've somehow like taken it upside down. In churches today, we emphasize more on the submission of the women than on the love of the men. But Paul, for whatever reason, believed that it was much more important to emphasize the love than the submission. Maybe because when you yield in love, you are more likely to have someone submitted to you. When you yield in love, because that's how we saw it. You remember that in Christ Jesus, 
Christ first loved us. Our submission came after. He didn't ask for submission from us, and then because of our submission, loved us. No. He loved us first, even when we were still sinners. So the idea of submission really, at the end of the day, of course, she'll submit because she's a sister in Christ, and that's what the word says. But also she'll submit because she has seen your show of love, which is sacrifice. All right? She has seen your show of love, which is supposed to come first, because that's how Christ loved us. He gave himself for us even when he did not know that we we're going to receive it. All right? So he loves first, and so demands sacrifices first. All right? And so the woman's submission is a response to the sacrifice of the man. That is how we are expected to love in the church. Well, at least that is how a family in the church is expected to function. That is how headship or lordship in the church is true. And that is how submission from the women is here. But let me just say something and just round it. Just a little thing to pick with your fancy. And I, I don't know if you've not paid attention to it before. You know, Bible says, Paul, Paul speaking here says, For this cause shall a man, shall a man <laughs> leave his father and his mother and shall cleave. Uh, sorry, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. And what is put in here is the Genesis chapter 2. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23 to 24. Genesis 2, 23. I don't want to you know, read the verse because of time. I'm just going to say something. In Genesis 2, 23 to 24, at that point in time, the woman had just been created. The woman had just been created. And then the phrase says, For this cause shall a man live his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. I have a very important question. Who was he speaking about? And I want to think about that question very deeply. The reason I say you think about the question very deeply is that if he was speaking about Adam, Adam didn't have a father or mother. So where did that phrase come from? No, first question would be. Who said that phrase? And then the second question would be, who was he speaking about? And the third question would be, was he speaking about marriage? <laughs> Let, let's let's open it. Let me just I just want to say something to just will give you something to think about during the week. Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Because like people people just quote this verse a lot and then they like to use to talk about marriage. And I'm not saying they are wrong, though. I'm not saying they are wrong. I'm just saying I just want you to just think. Okay, so. Let's start from, let's look at from verse 20. It says, And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fall of the and to every priest of the field. Um, but for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. Right? It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. It says, verse 22, And the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. First and foremost, it can't have been God that said this. Because God wasn't talking. If anybody was talking to Adam, <laughs> if anybody was talking here, it was Adam. God clearly wasn't saying anything. We just saw God acting here. God wasn't saying anything here. He just made Adam see, took a bone, took, um, okay, the only thing God said, sorry, the thing we hear God say is, um, it is not good that man should be alone, all right? Let us make and help it for him. That's it. In fact, God didn't say that, sir. We just see it, see it. He says, Adam gave, uh, and so every piece of food, 
But for Adam, there was not found the help he was coming. That's all. Lord God caused him to sleep. He slept. He took one of his ribs. Um, and then God made a woman. Then Adam now said, so Adam saw the woman. And then Adam now said, this is now bone of the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. So that was what Adam said. Then next up, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. He says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. If you say Adam said what was in verse 24, my question will now be, did Adam say what was in verse 25? That, because that's a very important question. If you say that, uh, well, if Adam said verse 23, that means he must have said verse 24. Then I'll now say, was he Adam that then said verse 25? Because the kind of speech you see here is something like reported speech. So it's like there's Adam, there is God, there's the woman, then there's somebody else who is recounting this story to us. And so the person now tells us that after Adam has seen the wife and said this, then the person now references something and says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother. Because it can't be Adam. Because Adam did not have father and mother. And so why would you even use this particular reference here? It doesn't make any sense. Because Adam at this point in time does not have father and mother. So how would he have left anybody? How? Let me just give you guys a tip. And I'm probably going to talk about this a little more because by the question. You cannot take away the influence of the writer from a book. You can't take away the influence of the writer from the book. Adam at this point in time is not a father, not a mother. In fact, interestingly, he, he, was, he was just seeing a woman for the first time. So the chances that he understood reproduction here is very low. Very, very low. So how come he's seen a woman for the first time and he just knows that soon enough there's going to be the idea of father and mother? Well, that's just something for you to think about. You know? Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on kerisol.mini at gmail.com. We call you blessed.